Thanks for tuning in here to NL Newsday on this Monday, April the 12th, because it is, of course, the first day of the work week. As always, I am pleased to welcome to the program Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Kyla, how are you today? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for the time. So let's uh, let's get right into it. The BC Human Rights Tribunal dismissed a complaint by a worker who was fired for refusing to wear a mask because of his, quote, religious beliefs. The worker claims that his beliefs prevented him from wearing a mask and his dismissal constituted discrimination based on religion, a claim which the tribunal rejected. I'll get into some more details, but I guess first and foremost, just on the topic of religious beliefs, I mean, is that a difficult thing to try to use in in like a situation like this we're talking about someone being fired they're claiming it's because of their religious beliefs preventing them from wearing a mask even though the rules clearly state in his probably his contract or or within the COVID-19 safety plan that is established by his workplace that he has to wear a mask I mean how difficult is that leg to stand on in a case like that it's a pretty difficult leg to stand on you would have to explain why your religion requires you to not wear a mask And it's difficult to conceive of a religion that has a requirement specifically that you not cover your face Mm -hmm. and how that's intrinsically linked to your relationship with the higher power in your religion and practicing your religion, your freedom to participate in your religious activities. Yeah, so uh, basically what ended up happening here, a manager confirmed that the recently hired employee could not enter the facility without a mask, and a senior manager later terminated the worker's contract for not wearing a mask. I mean, given the fact, too, that it sounds like this was very early on in his uh, employment at this uh, particular workplace, does that make it a little bit easier as well on the employer side of things to go about uh, terminating a contract when it is, you know, pretty new? I mean, I, I don't know what the probation period would look like in a situation like this, but I imagine the earlier that you uh, kind of go through a process like this, the easier it is on the employer side of things. Absolutely. The, you know, the sooner you terminate an employee, the less sort of obligations you have, both in, in giving notice, um, in paying severance, if it's a without cause termination, the fewer obligations you have to that employee overall, and the less liability and risk you expose yourself to for affecting that termination, because the damages from a loss of employment that's only been short-lived are much, much lower than the damages from a longer period of employment. Now, if someone you know out there is listening, maybe they have a religious belief, not necessarily the same as this one, but something that could potentially come up as a concern when dealing with a term of employment. Um, what sorts of steps, I guess, would be ideal for them to take so they can prove their point? I mean, I imagine if it's sort of a, a mainstream religion that we're talking about, there's probably a pretty um, easy way to go about proving what your beliefs are and how they're being impacted by a term of employment or something along those lines. Uh, But maybe if you're a little bit more niche, it becomes a little bit more difficult. Um, So what sorts of steps, I guess, would you have if someone is trying to make a claim based on religious beliefs? What sorts of documents should they have in order? Well, they should certainly have some evidence that they tried to to deal with the situation with their employer. So if, if there was a legitimately held religious belief that prevented them from wearing a mask or doing anything else in the course of, of, of their employment, they should have documentation to show that they raised the issue, that they explained it, that they gave the, uh, the employer an opportunity to accommodate them and their religious beliefs um, and their needs in the workplace before just saying, my human rights were violated. I mean, to, to show that you've mitigated your damages or attempted to mitigate the damages is an important aspect of civil litigation. 
Okay, so that's step one. Um, and then if you are more niche, I mean, does it just become more and more difficult to prove? Like one of the things I often think about when having conversations around religion um, was that whole, I think it was a driver's license photo, right, where we had the, the guy put the strainer on his head saying that was part of his beliefs. He had to wear this colander in his driver's license photo. Um, I mean, are things like that just kind of really goofy and not really taken seriously? Or, I mean, when it comes to religion, there's nothing that says what's right or what's wrong. So does it become more challenging is there more hoops to jump through if there are you know have something that's within your your religious beliefs quote unquote that's really far out there yes if you do you know have a far out there religious belief like that you have to wear a colander on your head all the time because you're a member of the church of the flying spaghetti monster then you know in, the, in that situation you would need to have some documentation and i believe that individual lost his case because he didn't have documentation to demonstrate that in other aspects of his life like not when he was getting his driver's license photo taken he complied with the religious order to wear the colander on his head um and and so you would have to show that, you know, this is something that's important to you that you take seriously. And it's not right. something that you pick and choose when you decide to follow it. Yeah. Well, that I, I like that explanation because otherwise people could just kind of make up whatever they wanted. Right. So that does provide a little bit of um, uh, defense there on the on the legal side of things. Um, I think that's about all on that. But just sort of sticking with this issue around PPE and, and people who are refusing to wear them or, you know, maybe have actual medical conditions that prevent them from wearing one. I understand that the Human Rights Tribunal now is making people disclose those medical conditions if they are filing any type of complaint in relation to uh, COVID-19 safety protocols. Do you take issue with that, the fact that people are having to disclose those medical conditions? No, the Human Rights Tribunal does have the power to sort of do a threshold determination about whether there is a basis for a claim to proceed. And, and that's obviously to prevent abuse by people just filing spurious human rights complaints, tying up the tribunal. The tribunal can dismiss them out of hand if there's no reasonable cause disclosed. Um, and I think it's important because, as they've indicated in their decision, um, they're seeing a massive increase in the number of complaints related to medical conditions as a result of the mandatory mask order. And in order to separate those situations that I'm sure are occurring from time to time where people are being legitimately um, discriminated against on the basis of a medical condition where no reasonable alternatives are offered to them to access a service, um, then um, the Human Rights Tribunal does need to step in in those cases. But Unfortunately, there's a flood of sort of anti-maskers that are just claiming a medical exemption without more. And so for the tribunal to effectively do its job and to assess those cases where discrimination is actually occurring, there needs to be some evidence uh, at the initial stage presented that there is a medical condition and a need in relation to that medical condition um, for the person not to wear a mask. Okay, I mean, I think it makes perfect sense, right? If you're putting forward a, uh, a concern based on an actual medical condition that you, you show what that medical condition would be um, in order to make sure you're not abusing the system, as you talked about. So I think it makes a whole lot of sense. Is there ever a situation where that might be unreasonable? 
there are situations where it might be unreasonable asking people, for example, who say that they're being discriminated against on the basis of their sexual orientation to prove that they are of a particular orientation before the merits of the claim are assessed. Um, that's much more invasive. But when when the issue is so widespread in our current society and where there's so much potential for abuse, as we see in the way that certain anti-mask people are behaving out in society, I think it's appropriate for the tribunal to say on this occasion, we are going to make an exception and we are going to require more information at the outset before we get to assessing the merits of any claim. Okay. Um, And I imagine the more info you have on your condition, probably the easier it would be for the tribunal to go about making an actual judgment. And, and, you know, if you don't have the, the less information you have, the more likely they probably are to throw it out. And it's not an onerous burden. The the individuals simply have to provide evidence that they have a medical condition that exempts them from wearing a mask. Simply to state, you know, I have this COPD or, or whatever should be enough to overcome that threshold. You don't need to have 15 years of your medical history and all of your spirology tests. To, to demonstrate that you have COPD to get over that initial threshold in uh, the claims process. Mm-hmm. Uh, here with Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee. Uh, yeah, uh, one more one more topic I did want to get to because uh, I think we pretty much covered off that that last section in regards to medical exemptions. Uh, I just wanted to touch on briefly some concerns that might be happening here in Kamloops specifically with relation to uh, access to justice. From what I understand, Kamloops is now down to just one BC Supreme Court judge. Um, it sounds like one of those positions is soon to be filled, so that would leave us down to two, but there should be three, I guess, state in Kamloops. What concerns come with the fact that we're seeing sort of the shuffling of deck chairs here in Kamloops when it comes to BC Supreme Court judges? And is that going to, if we don't see something filled soon, I mean, are are there serious repercussions for uh, the ability to, to deliver justice in our community here? There can absolutely be serious repercussions. Um, We run into situations where if there are not enough judges, um, then criminal cases that can be stayed if they're not heard in a certain time frame are going to be bumped because there's just not a judge available. The institution of our justice system cannot accommodate the trial to be heard. That can result in cases being thrown out. If judges are being removed from other locations, whether they're coming from Kelowna or coming from Vancouver or or the Fraser Valley to come hear cases in Kamloops, that causes concerns because now there's one judge short in another community. Mm-hmm. And if a matter continues, if it doesn't finish on the day, that judge has to come back. That costs more money um, and it ultimately delays everything in the justice system. When we don't have enough judges appointed to the vacancies on our benches, it slows down the wheels of justice. And this has been an ongoing issue for years in Canada that we have not had all of the judicial vacancies that exist filled. Even if they were all filled, we would still not have enough judicial resources to hear all of the cases that are before the courts in a timely manner. So just based on that, I mean, what could potentially be done to make sure that the positions are all filled? Is it not a matter of not having enough viable candidates or what seems to be the biggest issue in making sure positions are filled? It's not a lack of viable candidates. There are judicial applicants um, that have been vetted and are are waiting for the phone call to be told that they're being appointed um, all across Canada right now. Um, The the issue is that, unfortunately, in Ottawa, um, priority is very rarely given to appointing judicial candidates. And if you look at where the judges are typically appointed, more judges are, are appointed in Ontario's courts 
interestingly where <laughs> where mm-hmm. the justice minister lives um, than in any of the other courts um, in Canada. So we see vacancies out west. You know, we kind of get forgotten in BC, and and our, our judicial vacancies are a good example of that. Interesting. Well, um, I guess if we need maybe uh, someone with more local ties, is is there something that could be done? Like maybe not even uh, BC specifically, but you mentioned Ontario, where the justice minister lives, seems to get more uh, more more priority. Uh, would it, if if someone was in that position from any other province, do you think it might make a difference? Um, it probably wouldn't, um, just because there are rules about uh, about appointments and connections to the province where you're going to be appointed in. But we have tons of qualified applicants waiting for, for the news that they've been appointed from BC, um, people who put their names out years ago who are sitting in a pool of, mm. of candidates to be chosen from. And it's just a matter of, of the justice minister choosing those applicants. All right. Well, I hope this vacancy in Kamloops doesn't last too, too long. Uh, but it sounds like it'll be, uh, if it's not here already, it's coming very, very soon. And then we'll we'll see what happens thereafter. But uh, Kyla, as always, really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you so much for uh, joining me for our usual Monday chat. And we'll definitely do it again next week. Great. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks so much, as always, for the time. Acumen Laws there. Kyla Lee, my usual Monday guest, joining me here on this April the 12th. So yeah, BC or city of BC, the city of Kamloops right now down to just one BC Supreme Court judge at this point in time. Um, that comes after last month's promotion of Justice Len Marchand to the BC Court of Appeal and Justice Dev uh, Lay's recent move from the tournament capital to Fraser Valley. So that leaves us in BC down to just one BC Supreme Court judge in the city of Kamloops. Sounds like we got another guy coming over from uh, the Okanagan from Kelowna. Justice Dennis Horry is on his way here not here yet but will be here sometime in the not too distant future but that still leaves Kamloops sitting one uh, seat shy of filling its vacancy when it comes to BC Supreme Court judges so hopefully that doesn't have a massive trickle-down impact um, but it could be coming soon if we don't see some some changes in that regard we'll continue or I'll, I'll probably get some more reaction on the local level on that as well at some point this week just to see if there is more concern from the legal community here in our city